Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. And today is Tuesday, August the 17th, and this next hour we study the inspired and true Word of God, and in the book of Hebrews, we make the connections. It's absolutely everywhere, the Old Testament to the New Testament, to the sacrifices of the Old Testament, to the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, the high priest in the Old Testament, to the high priest in the New Testament, which is our Lord Jesus. And today, the author in crazy ways, makes a connection to somebody that is barely even mentioned in Holy Scripture, Melchizedek. And it is a fascinating connection, which is why we're going to go through it slowly. The book of Hebrews, I compare it to like eating cheesecake. Because when you eat cheesecake, you can't eat it too fast. Well, I've tried, and it just not doesn't end well. Um, but you... It's, it tastes great. Um, you can got to go through it slowly to meditate on the Word of God and how important that is for us today because the more we meditate on Hebrews, the more we see Jesus and what, what great um, opportunity that is for us this morning. Reminder to everybody as we gather on God's Word, we know the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we have the joy of having with us for the first time D Pastor Derek Waffle of Christ Lutheran Church in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Pastor Waffle, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, Brady. Thanks for uh, inviting me to be on here with you today. Well, it's a joy to have you, and I do believe that you are uh, my first guest. I mean, Thy Strong Word's been around a long time, but my first guest from Mississippi. So I always think of Mississippi as the homeland of Brett Favre, right? Isn't Brett Favre from Mississippi? <laughs> uh, I believe uh, he may have been born here, but uh, I don't think we really claim him as our own. Uh, <laughs> around here. <laughs> Oh, that's too good. Yeah. Well, he played two years for the Vikings, so I guess I can't reclaim him either. But anyways, I always think about Mississippi as the Favre land, but you don't, so that that's okay then. But anyways, uh, Pastor, this is our first time together. Can you introduce yourself, your family, and the work of the saints at Christ Lutheran? Absolutely. Um, well, if you were anything like me, when you hear Pascagoula, Mississippi, you probably think, uh, where is that? because mm -hmm. that was my reaction when I heard Pascagoula, Mississippi announced to me on call day. Um, <laughs> this is my first call um, here. Uh, we are about a mile and a half from the water here on the Gulf Coast. Um, so I've been here for six years. I'm a 2015 graduate of the St. Louis Seminary. I'm still here at my first call. Um, before that, I was born and raised in East Tennessee in Chattanooga. Um, my uh, time, the time before arriving here took me St. Louis to the seminary and a vicarage in Rochester, Minnesota. Yeah. After a year in Minnesota, <laughs> we asked the placement committee if it would be possible to go a little farther south again, and uh, they, were, they were able to accommodate that request. <laughs> So what's funny is— I do not is, envy you your winters, Brady. Oh, I know. I know. It's funny because Pastor Waffle and I spoke before the program, and one of the comments he made was that, you know, St. Louis was too cold for him. And I literally thought when I was in St. Louis that we were like, 
you know, right next to tropical world of, you know, crazy amount of heat. And he thought it was really cold. So obviously there's a difference of perspective on this, but tell, tell us about your family. It is all relative. It is relative. Tell us about your family. (laughs) Uh, I'm uh, uh, married for, we're going on nine years now. Mm -hmm. Um, My wife's name is Eve. Her father is also an LCMS pastor. So she knew what she was getting herself into, uh, probably more than I did. Absolutely. Uh, we have two children at the moment, a boy, six and three, and a girl who is expected uh, next month. So we only have a few more weeks to go before uh, round three starts. And what do they call it? A zone defense as opposed to man-to-man, right? Exactly. Exactly what somebody warned me about. Once you have more children than you have parents, once they outnumber you, you have to shift your strategy. Absolutely. Well, and a reminder to our listeners, this is just another call to prayer. Not only to pray for the work of a Christ Lutheran and Pascagoula, um, because most of us, like you said, don't know where it is, but we pray for the saints there and your work there, Pastor, but also for your bride and for your upcoming uh, gift of a daughter. Obviously, your daughter's already with us, but as she comes to this um, to this earth, we, we uh, pray for health and for a healthy delivery and what a joy it will be. So reminder to our listeners to pray for Pastor Waffle and his beloved bride. Uh, Pastor, as we speak about prayer, uh, we are here back in the farm to to look at God's Word, Hebrews chapter 7. Can you begin our time as we begin the study in prayer? Thank you, yes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let, uh, let us come before you, O Lord, this day as we approach you in your Word to us, as you uh, pour out your Holy Spirit on us to rightly handle your word and to understand how you speak about our Savior, Jesus, in it. As we come today to the book of Hebrews, we pray for that wisdom to see how all things in history, all the way back to King Melchizedek, have been pointing us to one thing, that is to our Lord Jesus and what you have given to us in Christ. In your Son, Jesus' holy name, we pray and ask your blessing. Amen. Amen. As we're looking at Hebrews this morning, I wanted to try something um, where we hear these words and hear them slowly. Because Hebrews is so rich. As I mentioned, it's like eating cheesecake. Obviously, it's much better than that even. But but you have to take it slow. Because as you hear these words... There's a lot packed into them. So, Pastor, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to read all of our verses today because we have Hebrews chapter 7, and we'll only be doing the first 17 verses because there's so much we can unpack here this morning. So to our listeners, I will be reading verses 1 through 17, and we are reading from the English Standard Version, and then we'll come back um, to hear more of themes and background and context from Pastor Waffle. So, reminder, uh, we are hearing chapter 7, especially hearing about this guy named Melchizedek. We hear, we hear the word of God. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High, God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham appoint, apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also the king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, 
having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these are also descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes from through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life, for it is witnessed of him. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. As you hear these words today, Pastor, I want you to... um, Hebrews, it can be quite complex. I mean, it can be very difficult to understand. That's why as we hear these words, we can get very confused. But so there's a context. It leads us up to chapter 7. Pastor, what do you what do you have for us this morning about the background, what leads us to chapter 7, themes, or whatever it might be that will help us out as we hear these words in chapter 7 this morning? Right. Uh, I, I love the... Uh, illustration that you gave this is like cheesecake because it is so rich um you know i i agree you know it's, it's one of those things that a small slice of it is amazing but you eat too much at one time and you can start to feel overwhelmed yeah um so one of one of the concerns that this book is addressing is the relationship between the jewish law and the christian faith you know what? Um, you go back to chapter two, and you have this this uh, comparison between Moses and Jesus, and that Jesus is greater than Moses. So mm. how you know how is uh, how is this Messiah? How is this uh, Savior that God has sent fitting in with all this Old Testament history that these Jewish Christians are familiar with? So trying to uh, you know, make sense of that is. I think a lot of what's going on at this point. And uh, personally, I feel a little bit better when I consider um, it back in Hebrews chapter uh, five, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, it says about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. So since um, um, the book itself admits, this is hard to explain. Uh <laughs> I think we can take comfort if we struggle a little bit to 
get around what exactly is going on here. Uh, but I have to say, when I got your invitation and you gave me a couple options to pick from uh, different texts from Hebrews, I picked this one. After I went back and started reading the passage in more detail, I thought, what have I gotten myself into now? <laughs> uh, but so, uh, the, the, the issue that is raised in this passage is an interesting one, and it's one that would not have occurred to me if Scripture itself had not brought it up. But when Jesus is spoken about as our priest, he points out there are no priests from the tribe of Judah in the Israelite context. The, the priests come from the tribe of Levi. Mm. So what's going on here? Yeah, that, that, I think, is the concern of this particular chapter. Uh, there's precedent in Israel's history for having the offices of king and prophet go mm. together. Mm-hmm. Remember from your catechism days, uh, we talked about Jesus' threefold office as prophet and priest and king. Um, you go back to Saul, after he's anointed, the spirit comes on him and he prophesies. Uh, David is certainly considered a prophet through his writings of the Psalms and things like that. So there is precedent for this connection between king and prophet in one person. But there is no precedent for a connection between king and priest mm. within the history of Israel. And that's why I think we, ha- we go back farther to Melchizedek and we see that, because it is a, as Hebrew says, this is not the priesthood of the old law. This is not the priesthood that is connected to the, the tabernacle or the temple and the sacrifices of animals happening there. This is um, a priesthood that is unique to Jesus. No one else can function as our priest in the way that Jesus can. As it says, he comes. Uh, he, he himself tells us that he is standing at the right hand of the Father and interceding for us on our behalf. And what I really so that like, brings, oh, sorry, can I can I intercede one thing? No, no, go ahead. And and one, no, one go ahead, Brady. I like how you said this is that we this brings us back to the Old Testament. We've we've gone through First Second Kings, and we've gone through Nehemiah, and through that you see the relationship of the king being a spiritual overseer, but never as a high priest as well. So you don't see that connection being made until you get to Hebrews here, where you have Jesus and and, and so forth. And then, like you said, well, how are you going to make this high priest connection to Jesus and King and all this? Is that you go back? You have to go all the way back to Melchizedek. I mean, that is a, a profound reality of why, in the first place, he even goes back to Melchizedek. And as you said, these words are confusing. Chapter five. I mean, we we went through this where it just just lightly brings up Melchizedek. It's like a, it's like oh by the way he's like Melchizedek, and then boom, it just keeps going. I mean, the author <laughs> kind of leaves us hanging there until we get to today in chapter seven. So I really like how you're making those connections because we've gone through First Second Kings, we've gone through Nehemiah. Sometimes you're like, how in the world does it all connect? The connection of high priest and the king and Jesus is absolutely wonderful. So I, I just wanted to highlight how how great for me how a blessing that is for today. So I, I am I am just slowly chewing on this on this cheesecake and you're making it even better. So thank you. <laughs> so keep going. Well, th- yeah, I uh, well thank you for also pointing that out that um, what makes it all come together and it, uh, that's Jesus. I mean that's the <laughs> essence of of our approach to scripture. You know, the lens that makes it all make sense, that makes it all come together into one uh, whole, is Jesus. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's what he, he tells the, the, the 
uh, disciples after the resurrection. He opens the scriptures to them and explains how all the law and the prophets testify to him. That uh, if we're going to make sense of the Old Testament, certainly we have value in it in history, in um, I think of books like Proverbs that have some good advice. Mm -hmm. But first and foremost, if we're going to understand it, we have to look at it in light of Jesus. And this, I think, is a great example for, for teaching us how to do that. Um, so when we turn to Melchizedek, and you probably ask, who is Melchizedek? Mm. He, we, we see sort of a triangle going on between Genesis chapter 14, which is where we have Melchizedek meeting Abraham, and Psalm 110, written by King David. That those are the two mentions of Melchizedek in the Old Testament. So between Genesis, the Psalm, and Hebrews, we have sort of a, a triangle going on that give us this picture of what is happening with him and how what he, what he has to do with Jesus. Uh, in fact, I think it's fair to characterize Hebrews chapter seven as a commentary on Psalm one ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Uh, Maybe I could go ahead and read that psalm, if that's okay with you, Brady. It's Please only do. seven verses long. So, uh, just a reminder, right, so, so it's Psalm 110, and how, what verses are you reading, in case our listeners want to go, go to Psalm 110? Uh, well, the whole psalm is seven verses long, so I'm just going to read the whole thing. Let's do it. Psalm 110, all, all verses. Let's do it. All right. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgments among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. So, Pastor, as you as you read that, I like how I like how you said this. So, just to make sure we're on the same page, and for you, our listeners, you're, what you're saying is chapter seven has been argued that this psalm is so that he's basically the author is interpreting for us how this connects to Jesus. Is that is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, okay. I think that's a, a good way to put it. Okay, so and keep going. I can start off by saying we do know, we can know for sure that this psalm is talking about Jesus because Jesus says this psalm is talking about himself. <laughs> uh, if we look, I mean, yeah. Keep going. If, I love it. If, we, if we're not sure, yeah, if we're not sure how to understand parts of the Old Testament, we, if Jesus interprets it for us, I think we're on pretty safe ground. <laughs> Uh, so he's uh, in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, I'm not going to go into the full passage there, but in Matthew chapter 22, he has um, he, he says, "How does David in the Spirit call him Lord?" And he quotes this Psalm: "The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand." Right. So right. from from Jesus' own words, we we know this is talking about him. Um, so I, I think uh, the author of Hebrews is on very solid ground when he makes that connection between this Psalm and. Uh, and our Lord. So uh, can we can we so, do this, Pastor? Yeah, so can I read mm-hmm. the first three verses of chapter seven? And I want you to unpack Please. 
how that looks, especially and, and throughout the time, I want you to unpack what you found with Psalm 110. So we know it's about Jesus. Let's go back to Melchizedek for a moment, and then maybe you make some of those more connections. So we slowly go through this. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay, yeah. let's do it. So one through three. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now, Pastor, part of the reason I wanted to read that is because as we're interpreting Psalm 110 in light, or we're interpreting chapter 7 in light of Psalm 110, it says um, that he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek in Psalm 110. He says it again here in verse 3. So, Pastor, continue on with Psalm 110 interpretation as we look at these verses. Uh, well, I have to admit, one of the things that I wrestle with the most here is this this idea that Melchizedek is a priest forever because uh, we have to, I, I think we have to assume that as a human being, Melchizedek, who met Abraham when he was king of the city of Salem, uh, is not a priest forever because he died. Yeah, yeah right. If he's still walking around in the world somewhere out there, he has stayed under the radar pretty effectively. Uh, so what, what the, I believe the comparison that, uh, that is being made between the priesthood of Melchizedek and the priesthood of uh, of Levi, not to jump too far ahead in the passage mm-hmm. here, yep. is that he is, you know, th- this idea of genealogy, this is critically important for the Israelite priesthood, this connection to the tribe of Levi. Um, like the, the, the genealogy is going back to, uh, to Aaron and before him to Levi, were necessary to establish if a, a certain man was eligible to be a priest. Uh, even today, you know, in the, the Jewish people today, sometimes you will you will meet um, a, someone with the last name Cohen. That you know, that name, Cohen, as you, you know, Brady, but uh, for your listeners, uh, Cohen is priest mm-hmm. in Hebrew. Yep. Uh, that that last name denotes some connection to that that priestly family. That uh, so. The, the, the idea of Melchizedek being a priest without mother or father, without genealogy, without uh, without knowing where he comes from, that, I think, is the contrast. Uh, the Levitical priesthood required this, this connection. The Melchizedek priesthood, he just, he just kind of shows up in the story in Genesis. <laughs> uh, in that sense, he, as verse 3 says, he resembles the Son of God because of uh, there is no, you know, there is no beginning or end of of him that we have recorded. Uh, now I know some people have taken this and thought, well, is, is he some sort of supernatural figure? Mm. I think it's more in terms of him being this this foreshadowing of Jesus. Um, I don't know how much you have previously delved into the idea of typology. Right. Uh, if that if using those, that terminology would be mm-hmm. more confusing than it would be helpful. Well, how about this? Talk about it a little bit. We have a few minutes, so what is typology? Okay. Right. Um, it is a difficult thing uh, 
I think, to explain <laughs> briefly. Okay, which, sure. Uh, well, I, I can explain it best by giving an example. Uh, Jesus talking about Jonah. He, he says in the Gospels that just as the three days that Jonah spent in the belly of the fish uh, are, are you know, compared to his three days in the tomb. Yep. Okay. So taking these events in the Old Testament and seeing how they are a foreshadowing or an echo of Christ. Uh, the, the visual image that, that I jump to for this is like dropping a rock into a still pond that you see the ripples going out from all directions. You know, Jesus is the rock, and from his uh, his entry into human history, there are these ripples, these echoes, uh, and and uh, when we see them, we see, see these things in the Old Testament reflected that, that, uh, that Jonah and his three days is one of them. I think Melchizedek is another one. Uh, saying that, yes, Melchizedek is a real historical figure, yes. This is what the Old Testament gives us is historical, but at the same time, it is it also has the spiritual dimension of, of pointing us uh, to Jesus, who is the greatest, most complete fulfillment of these things the Old Testament is just hinting at. So as we hear that, something I've heard it said like this, that there are types of Christ, so they're they're like Christ, and they're pointing us to Christ. So here is this guy, Melchizedek, two verses long, really. I mean, three verses, I suppose, um, or four. I can't remember the count, but in, in Genesis, where he shows up, and he's a priest. There's no genealogy. And Jesus, you know, in a similar way, he's appointed as opposed to uh, uh, because of a family lineage. And there he is, comes out of nowhere, already in Genesis, that we are getting pointed to Christ as a type of Christ. So pointed to Christ with Melchizedek. Is that, I mean, I, I'm a real simple guy. Is that, does that make sense or is that, am I he's, off? He's, yeah, he's unique. You know, <laughs> Jesus is unique. He, uh, in, in many ways, Jesus is unique. Um, but in terms of, of his priesthood, which is where all this is headed to throughout the course of Hebrews, uh, Jesus is our unique priest. He has no precedent. He has no successor. He is it. He is our high priest, you know, one for all time. And I think that's the parallel here. Melchizedek is unique. I like um, it. I like it. Because you don't want to go too far because you're like, well, wait a second. He would have died. Okay, all right. I mean, the analogy, right, right, the right. typeness of him is not all together. I mean, it, 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 there's, there's a place where it falls away. But what the author is proving is that as Melchizedek was a priest and a king, so is Christ, and already he was pointed to Christ. And he's just, as I said, connecting the dots. But right now, Pastor, we need to take our break. We are studying Hebrews chapter 7 with Pastor Derek Waffle, and we will be right back. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church, free of charge, to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. 
To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. And welcome back. We are studying Hebrews chapter 7 with Pastor Derek Waffle. Excuse me, I, 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 I think I'm getting kind of hungry when I say this. Um, Waffle, sorry about that. Um, so as we, as we come to this, it's just a reminder to our listeners as well that as we are listening to this on your um, phone or your internet or whatever it might be, that also a reminder that we have now the KFUO app. All you need to do is to go to your app on your phone and look up KFUO radio, and you'll be able to download your own app that you can listen to us, as we say, anytime, anywhere. So a reminder to our listeners to download that app makes it even easier to listen to Thy Strong Word and all the other Christ-centered programs and Bible studies that we have on this program. So today we are listening to uh, Hebrews chapter 7, as I said, and we just got done talking about uh, Melchizedek being a type of Christ. Anything else you want to highlight in those first three verses, Pastor? Well, yes, but in the interest of getting through our whole passage, uh, I think I will uh, let you continue on at the moment. Okay, all right, very good. So, And if there's anything that comes up, please highlight it as we move forward. So verses 4, and we'll go through verse 9. Verses 4, go through verse 9. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these are also descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by immortal men but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, to try to unpack all those verses could literally take us all day, because there's a lot going on here. Once again, our goal is to interpret it in light of what you said, Psalm 110, and to highlight what we can, and there's a lot of things we don't know. So, Pastor, what do we know in these verses as we look at all of Scripture? In this, in this case, we're looking at Jesus versus the Jewish law is, mm-hmm. is what is being represented here. Uh, yeah, of course, they trace their descent back to Abraham. They, they speak to Jesus. You know, we are children of Abraham. This is you know, the the people who belong to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, this is definitional for who the Israelites are. And and here we've got their their founding father, Abraham, acknowledging someone else as even greater. Um, which, when you think about it in that in that sense, it is kind of surprising because you consider the promises that God gave to Abraham. Um, but the, you know, your descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky and uh, all these, the, the covenant that he made with them and so forth. And then you've got Abraham beating this Melchizedek and clearly, uh, as Hebrews lays out for us, uh, 
the, the attitude of an inferior to a superior in some sense. He pays a tithe to him and receives his blessing. Uh, so what the, uh, the, the point of that being, this, this Levi, he says Levi being a descendant of Abraham is, is uh, in, a, in a sense still in Abraham or represented in Abraham, his ancestors, uh, that if you, know, this, you have this situation where the, the Israelite lineage of priests is submitted, you know, submissive in some sense to the Melchizedek priest. Mm. So, make that make sense in any way, you know, you've got, uh, you, you, we bring back in Psalm 110. So, who is this talking about? It's not just talking about some Gentile king 2,000 years before the time of Jesus. He's talking about a representation of Jesus. Mm. Uh, that when, uh, I'm sorry, go, go ahead, please. No, I mean, this is, I mean, it, it can be very, <laughs> very trying to try to see what he's saying in these verses, that he's making a connection to Abraham, um, and he's once again bringing up that clearly Abraham saw him as the priest. So it wasn't like, well, you're, you're not really from the lineage, therefore you don't matter, right? And, and, and trying yeah. to, he receives a tenth, which would be a tithe, as we would talk about, of the spoils. And there clearly is a um, problem throughout the Bible where that genealogies were important because clearly, as we went through First Second Kings, Jesus comes from the lineage of David, and God sustains that lineage. He keeps it, not for the sake of a lineage, but because of the promise that was going to be fulfilled. The problem comes, like we see in the Pharisees, is saying, well, we don't need faith because we come from Abraham. So it appears to me, and and I have to, I mean, I, the, the, I need to I need to meditate on this cheesecake quite a bit longer on this. And I would be intrigued to hear from our listeners if you have uh, emails or thoughts on this text that I think would be appreciated because it's good for us to be able to dig deeper into this. But definitely, as we look at this and reading Dr. Kleinig and his commentary. There definitely is that reality that he is pointing them back to Christ, showing that the lineage of Melchizedek was, Abraham didn't depend on that. If anything, you know, he had more of a lineage than Melchizedek did because it comes down to faith that God had appointed this man into this office. Abraham gives in faith, as we know in Hebrews 11 as well, and in, in knowing that God placed him there in faith, they did all of these things, not denying genealogy, but showing the ultimate is pointing us to whom we have faith in, which is Christ. This is the way that I'm trying to filter through this because it is so rich. And Dr. Kleinig, which we had on the program to begin with, um, in chapter 1, to start off, Hebrews said it so well, is he's like, this, think of Hebrews as a life, a, a sermon that can encompass probably the author of all of his sermons he gave throughout his ministry, whoever this author was, and he put it into one, and then trying to filter through all of that because it'd be so much to bring together into one, and he does it beautifully. So, what are your thoughts there, Pastor, as we look at these verses and some of the thoughts I had? I think we need a good cup of Lutheran coffee to make the cheesecake go down a little bit more smoothly. <laughs> 
I love um, it. I love it. And and uh, Doctor Kleinig is a is certainly a tough act to follow. It is. It <laughs> is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> so, um, one one thing that ties back in with some of the concerns that Paul has in his letters mm. is, um, you know, that Paul is dealing with these Judaizers. He calls them. You know, these people who are insisting that Christians, that Gentile Christians, have to essentially become Jews first to then have faith in the Messiah. You know, this obedience to the Jewish law, and he speaks quite a bit about circumcision as uh, sort of the the, uh, the symbol, the representation of the law as a whole. And in this case, we've got Melchizedek, who is not part of that covenant of circumcision. Mm-hmm. That begins with Abraham. So you've got the uncircumcised, presumably, um, receiving the tithe, receiving the honor, giving the blessing to the circumcised. Uh, so while Hebrews doesn't get into that aspect of it, I think sort of resonating with what Paul is saying at the same time uh, helps, helps show what this book is saying to the Hebrew Christians, that, that you know, Jesus is not only a greater priest than any of the Levites, but this covenant through Jesus, you know, this blood of the new covenant, the new covenant is more uh, all-encompassing than the old one with Abraham. That this is, he's not just a priest for the Jews. He's not just a priest for the descendants of Abraham. He is the priest for all of them. And that's really interesting to think about, like you said, that not only did he not have the genealogy, now, it's hard for us to understand that a little bit, but we do have some of this. Um, when you know someone comes from a certain genealogy, it uh, and Dr. Klein talks about this in his commentary very well, is that you, from that name, you're, under, you're able to understand kind of the person's socioeconomic status. You're able to stand, understand uh, a little bit about their connections. You're able to understand a little bit of possibly about their uh, intellect, if you can say it that way, uh, uh, of the, 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 the way that they are, knowing what the family has been through, da 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 And so so he doesn't have that, you know, and that's kind of wonderful, I think, in many ways, because he doesn't have the, quote, baggage that you might have. But then, as you said, too, is that as the Hebrew author connects faith so strongly in chapter 11, you cannot help but think about Galatians, right, of of how they're saying, okay, this is about circumcision. And you you kind of wish, of course, maybe Paul wrote Hebrews. Who knows? I mean, there's, there's debate on that. We don't know. But you, you, can't, you can't separate it from that where, first of all, how come Paul didn't uh, highlight Melchizedek? That would have been really cool in Galatians, wouldn't it have? <laughs> if he would have, but he didn't. Um, <laughs> what if? Yeah, what if, you know, how great that would have been. But I like how you said that because there is that connection. You could say, okay. So you're saying you're from Abraham, um, that's important, um, that, that you're circumcised, okay, yeah, great. But what are you going to do with Melchizedek now? Because Melchizedek, clearly Abraham saw as appointed by God, and, and Melchizedek didn't have the lineage. And you're saying those two things are the most important thing. But yet, Melchizedek, in the Bible, um, Abraham valued him, but yet didn't have those things. And then you could just see Jesus say, 
what are you going to do about that? Or Paul to the Galatians, what are you going to do about that? Or us, for us today, what are you going to do about that? If you use anything outside of faith and the blood of Jesus for your hope, we can easily point to Melchizedek. Well, what about him? You know, what about this? You get to works, let's talk about this. You know, I mean, it goes back and forth all day. It's a wonderful connection. Other thoughts you have? That's right. That's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah only uh, if. That's it. I, I don't. I don't want to take us. I don't want to take us backwards uh, instead of going forward. Please but, do. Uh, Please do. Um, it is interesting to note that Melchizedek is the very first person in the Bible to be called a priest. Uh, ah. That he is, you know, Abraham is the patriarch, as uh, you know, we even have here in this passage. Abraham, the patriarch. You know, patriarch means first father, beginning father, founding father. Uh, in the same sense, Melchizedek is kind of the beginning priest. Uh, the the founding priest of uh, of anyone in the Bible that not just the Jewish priesthood that he is the first person ever described as being a priest to um, the Most High God is the language used here. But considering Abraham's interaction with him, I think we are safe in assuming that is indeed that, that he is indeed a priest of the same God that Abraham uh, acknowledges. A different reminder to our listeners, and and I, Pastor, I think you said it so well. It's good for us to always go back, you know, um, because maybe we're confused. And I, I realized this too when we started. We didn't, when we kind of alluded to it, but what we're talking about with Melchizedek is Genesis 14, verses 17 through 20. And I like how you, you brought us back to that because um, it's, it's good for us to be able to look at that. And so I'm going to do this now just because I can, um, is I invite our listeners to go to Genesis 14 and we will look at these verses, uh, from Melchizedek, uh, chapter 14 verses 17 through 20. And I love the connections because we're going back to Psalms. We're going to Genesis. Um, and it all interconnects so beautifully. 17 after his return from the defeat of, of Ker de Lomer, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And then that's it. <laughs> that's all we have. That's all we have of Melchizedek is he comes. So what you're saying, Pastor, and I guess I hadn't, I, I, I probably read it, but I didn't remember it. The first time that a priest of God most high is mentioned in the Holy Scriptures. That's correct. In fact, I, uh, I believe it's the first time the word priest occurs at all. Oh, there you go. Up until this point, Genesis 1 through 13, uh, it's just not there. Ah, oh, very now, good. Uh, the since you just read it for us, the one one detail that Hebrews does not mention, which uh, maybe it's uh, maybe it would have been too much of a tangent to go on when he's trying to make this this beautiful point from the psalm, but uh, when Melchizedek uh, meets Abraham, he brings out bread and wine with him, and it, yeah, the the text says because. He was a priest uh, of, the, of God Most High. That there's this connection of him bringing this bread and wine out as being a priest. Now, uh, I I love uh, 
reading authors in the early church, mm. some of the theologians and preachers, and some of the connections that they make. Um, they make connections that would never possibly occur to me, um, and not not that they're not that they're right all the time, but it provides this wonderful like binocular kind of vision when you're looking at at scriptures to to uh, get the fullest picture. And of course, when when they read this passage, the it, the first thing that they jumped to was, oh, a priest with bread and wine. What does that sound like? That sounds like the Lord's Supper. Um, <laughs> it's not it's not a connection I want to press too far, um, but it is it's one of those kind of interesting echoes, one of those typological shadows that uh, uh, that we have here. Because how does how does Jesus act as our priest? You know, that this is very important to the point that Hebrews is making. He acts as our priest by sacrificing himself, not sacrificing an animal, not sacrificing anything else, but offering himself as a sacrifice. And of course, that that body and blood on the cross is what we are given in the Lord's Supper. That is a great connection. You know, and I have to admit, I've read that many times. I've never quite made that connection, but how could I not? <laughs> because it's right there <laughs> in this understanding of God is continually pointing us forward by pointing us back, if I can say it that way, that he is continually yeah. showing us uh, what is yet to come um, by showing us what was there and then showing us what we have now. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a wild ride in it to be a Christian. I mean, it's just great because you look at this and you're like, wow, look at that. This happened. And then you got the genealogy aspect. You got Psalm 110 aspect. You got the sacramental aspect of it. And I like how you said it. There's a typological, um, we're not saying it's the Lord's Supper, but it sure points us to it, right? Um, Melchizedek exactly. certainly is not Jesus, but he sure points us to it. And it, it goes back to when we were studying 1st, 2nd Kings, when we are, because in between each book, we're, we're praying the Psalms, and, and we down through Nehemiah, one of the common statements, and I know Luther talked this way, my professors always talk this way, my beloved members often will tell me this, is you put on your Christ goggles whenever you read the Bible. And that has never been more true yeah. with exactly how you highlighted that with Melchizedek and the Lord's Supper as well. Pastor, we have about 10 minutes left in our time, so I want to make sure, is there any other connections you want to make in verse first 10 verses before we move on? What well, we're proceeding through this argument about the you know, Levitical priesthood versus Melchizedek, and you know, it gets to the point in verse 14. Now, it's evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Uh, so again, you're addressing the, the question that is going to arise in the mind of a first century Jewish believer. Ah. How can Jesus be our priest if he is from the tribe of Judah and not from the tribe of Levi? That is, that is um, really that's, good. That's where we, oh we my. come to... Yeah. <laughs> wow. So let's do uh, this. Let's read 11 through 14 yeah. and unpack, try to unpack that the best we can. That You've brought up a great point sure. that I didn't catch either. So 11 through 14. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, 
from which no one has ever served at the altar, for it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Oh my gosh, it almost like opens your mind to a whole new reality to this. Is okay, so he's saying if the if perfection is from the Levitical priesthood, Melchizedek's not from that. So what does that mean? And then he points us to Jesus, right? I mean, what about Judah? How does this all fit? How would you unpack uh, this? If I can put verse 11 in Lutheran terminology, I would say it boils down to, if we could be saved by the law, why do we need the gospel? Right. If we could be saved by the law, why would we need Jesus? Mm. If we could be saved through the Levitical priesthood, why would we need this new, better, higher priest from the order of Melchizedek? Uh, it's all. I think it's all different ways of saying essentially the same thing. And verse 12, when there is a change in the priesthood, there is a change in the law as well. Uh, remember that in, uh, in the way that Paul speaks in Romans, he makes the word law mean several different things. He makes that word do a lot of work. Uh, sometimes he's talking about uh, the actual Jewish law, you know, the, the commandments and so forth. Sometimes he uses law in the sense more of like a principle, you know, the law of gravity. Uh, and, and that, I think, is pointing us to this, you know, not, not that we are now under a new law in Christ, as if Christ is a new lawgiver, but the whole principle has changed. We've moved from this, this uh, uh, demand of the law to the promise and the gift of the gospel. If, if perfection had been attainable through the law, what further need would there have been for Jesus? But, as you know, perfection cannot be attained under the law, and therefore we have a very, very great need for Jesus. So, yes, yes, and it breaks down whenever we depend on anything other than the cross. <laughs> which is not is not much fun to think about because of realizing our own idols um our own dependence on ourselves and I'll I'll share this today is that my daughter moved <laughs> my my daughter moved away uh to St. Paul Lutheran High School in Concordia Missouri last week and so our family's been on kind of a week long you know dependence on ourselves I would say and when you, when you, you know, my, my children are 15 down to 11, and when we had to drop my daughter off and you drive away, you realize how you need to depend on the Lord, <laughs> not yourself. And <laughs> if I need to depend on the Lord to take care of my daughter, which I ask for your prayers on that as well, but uh, to depend on the Lord for that, then why would I not think that I need to depend on the Lord for my faith? for my salvation, for my forgiveness, for everything, right? I mean, if it is <laughs> something as that, um, then why would I not need to depend on the Lord? Not my lineage, not my finnerness, you know, not my Norwegian or German background, but on the blood of Christ alone. Pastor, before we get to we have about five minutes left. Any any last thoughts before we get to mm-hmm. the last, verse, last few verses here? This makes me think of uh, the... The phrase that was kind of sort of the synod's motto for the celebration of the uh, Reformation 500 back in 2017. It's still all about Jesus. That's, <laughs> That's a good, That's good, good enough summary of, of all this stuff with Melchizedek. Like, what what on earth is is all this about Melchizedek? Well, 
Cliff Notes version. It's still all about Jesus. Still all about Jesus. Let's continue and get to the end. As you said, um, and I know Dr. Kleinig has highlighted this as well, we have the interpretive, interpretive lens of Psalm 110. This becomes even more evident, verse 15, when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life, for it is written of him, witness of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Pastor, who is this? Uh, who has? Who is um, the one priest that has arisen in the likeness of Melchizedek? What would you say? Good Sunday school answer, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so what does that mean? Why is that powerful here? Yep. You know, it goes back to this point that he is unique. You know, just as Melchizedek is this unique figure in, in his own appearance, Jesus is unique. He has this, you know, he, he is this everlasting priest by um, the power of an indestructible life, Hebrews says. You know, he is, he is risen from the grave never to die again. Uh, to to quote uh, uh, from from our liturgy, mm. and so he is the priest forever because there is you, know, you can't do better than him, and you can't go anywhere else than him. You know, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That that this indestructible life is is all uh, tied up in his ability to give us the same thing. He can give us eternal life because he has it first. He, he can be our priest standing at the right hand of God, interceding for us because he uh, he's there. Mm-hmm. You know, it, this isn't dependent on any of the earthly things that, that we would consider to qualify someone, you know, the legal requirement of bodily descent. Um, it, it's all about who he is and who he is is the, the incarnate son of God, conceived uh, by the Holy Spirit, uh, born of a Virgin Mary, crucified, died, raised, ascended into heaven. And I think I can't help when I when I read this passage of the indestructible life, I can't help but think of 1 Corinthians 15 and the resurrection language. You know, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is our victory? O death, where is our sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I just thought about those words. I wrote them down because I thought, wow, imperishable imperishable indestructible this is our lord jesus and he the author points us to this hope um over and over and i'm glad we ended in verse 17 because that just it opens up psalm 110 um so perfectly of what it means to be after the order of melchizedek pastor we have about a minute left how would you describe or summarize this chapter for us today well, let me do that by combining uh, the uh, the last verse there with the full verse from Psalm 110. Uh, Psalm 110, verse 4, The Lord hath sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. The Lord will not change his mind about what he has done and what he has given in Jesus. That's, you know, 
So it, as uh, my grandfather might say, it's a promise you can take to the bank. <laughs> Pastor Derek Waffle, Waffle of Christ Lutheran Church in Pascagoula, Mississippi. You might not know where it is, but you know and I know that the Word of God is being preached faithfully in Pascagoula. Pastor Waffle, Waffle, thank you again for being our guest. Thank you so much, Brady. Saints of our Lord, as we look at this, Jesus is unique. Melchizedek was unique, but the point of it all is that it is our Lord Jesus who is indestructible. Not us, not our lineage, not our genealogies, not our name, not circumcision, none of that. All of it is indestructible by the blood of Christ and his resurrection. And for that, I feel like it's still Easter. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. What a joy it is to learn more of Melchizedek this morning, and of course, Jesus. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.